Appendix 1, Continued, of Home Education Series, Volume 3, School Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Josh Broussard. Home Education Series, Volume 3, School Education, by Charlotte Mason. Appendix 1, Continued. Questions for the Use of Readers. Chapters 12 through 22. Chapter 12, Some Unconsidered Aspects of Moral Training. 1. What are the three principles which underlie the educational thought proposed in these volumes? 2. What principle is universally acknowledged as the basis of moral teaching? 3. How does authority work? 4. A man can but act up to his lights. Discuss this fallacy. 5. Define the limits of authority. 6. What is the consequence of arbitrary action? 7. What old contention as to the sanctions of morality is exercising men now? 8. Show that Socrates had to contend with the popular doctrine of today in other forms. 9. What is the necessary issue of this teaching? 10. How should children be taught that duty can exist only as that which we owe to God? 11. Show that morals do not come by nature. 12. That a certain rough-and-ready morality does come by hereditary and environment. 13. How do we get an educated conscience? 14. Show that children are born neither moral nor immoral. 15. Show the danger of spasmodic moral efforts. 16. Where shall we look for the basis of our moral teaching? 17. What do we owe to the poets in this regard? 18. How did the medieval church provide moral object lessons? 19. Illustrate our failure in this respect. 20. Why should children have the inspiration of high ideals? 21. Show the value of biography in this connection. 22. Name any virtues with which the poets inspire us. 23. Make a suggestion with regard to the culling of mottos. 24. How may parents and teachers help children to the habit of sweet thoughts? 25. Enumerate and discuss some of the virtues which children should be trained to develop. 26. Distinguish between being good and loving God. Chapter 13. Some Unconsidered Aspects of Religious Education. 1. Show how the principle of authority bears on religious teaching. 
2. In what ideas do the children of our day need especially to be brought up? 3. How do certain questions in the air militate against the sense of authority? 4. In what respects does authority work like a good and just national government? 5. Discuss authority in connection with punishment. 6. Discuss each of the various themes suggested in connection with the subject of authority in the religious life. 7. Show that lines of habit are as important for the religious as for the physical, moral, and intellectual life. 8. How would you endeavor to keep a child in the habit of the thought of God? 9. Discuss the question of reverent attitudes. 10. How would you use because of the angels in this connection? 11. Show the importance of regularity in time and place in children's prayers. 12. Why should not their evening prayers be left till bedtime? 13. What is to be said of little textbooks? 14. Show the danger of losing the narrative teaching of the scriptures. 15. Why should not children be encouraged in long readings or long prayers? 16. How should the habit of praise be fostered? 17. Show the value of the habit of Sunday keeping and describe a child's Sunday. 18. Write your reflections on each of the themes suggested in connection with the habits of the religious life. 19. Show the importance of selecting the inspiring ideas we propose to give children in the things of the divine life. 20. What other point demands our care? 21. What vitalizing idea is of first importance in the teaching of children? 22. How should children be taught that the essence of Christianity is devotion to a person? 23. Why is it necessary to teach children that there is a savior of the world? 24. What teaching would you give them about the work of the Holy Spirit? Chapter 14. A Master Thought. 1. What is the motto of the parents' union? 2. Show that this motto is a master thought. 3. Why is education is an atmosphere the clause of the motto that pleases us most? 4. What is the result if this part be taken for the whole? 5. What defect in education leads to ennui and the desire to be amused by shows? 6. What is the unconscious formula of the 18th century? 7. What is the result of this one-sided view of education? 8. Show that the idea of the development of the faculties also rests upon a one-sided notion. 9. 
What is the tendency of an education grounded upon the development of faculties? 10. Should it be our aim to produce specialists? Why not? 11. Show what manner of education results in a sound and well-balanced mind. 12. Show that the medieval church understood, better than we, that education is a life. 13. Sketch the scheme of educational philosophy to be found on the walls of the Spanish chapel of St. Maria Novella. 14. Show how this educational creed unifies life. 15. What does Coleridge say of the origin of great ideas of nature? 16. What does Michelangelo write to his friend of the need for a diet of great ideas? 17. What is the special teaching vouchsafed to men today? 18. What views are people apt to take with regard to this teaching? 19. What does Huxley say about ideas in science? 20. How does the teaching of Simone Memmi and Coleridge relieve us from anxiety and make clear our perplexities? 21. How does Coleridge describe botany as that science existed in his day? 22. What has evolution, the key word of our age, done for this and other perplexities? 23. But what has been the object of pursuit among philosophers for 3,000 years? 24. How did Heraclitus attempt to solve the problem? 25. How did Democritus? 26. Show that some knowledge of history and philosophy should give us pause in using the key of evolution. 27. Show that personality remains and is not resolvable by this key. 28. Why is it necessary for parents and teachers to consider their attitude towards this question? 29. What are the four attitudes which it is possible to take up? 30. What gains will children derive if their teachers adopt the last mentioned of these? 31. What two things are incumbent upon us with regards to the great ideas by which the world is being taught? 32. Show the danger of making too personal a matter of education. 33. If education is a world business, show that we must have a guiding idea about it. 34. What ideas should regulate the curriculum of a boy or girl under 14? 35. Show the importance of good books and many books for the use of children. 36. Why may we not choose or reject certain subjects arbitrarily? Chapter 15. School Books and How They Make for Education 1. What ideas do we get from the incident quoted from The Neighbors? 2. What manner of books sustains the life of thought? 3. What have you to say of the school books of the publishers? 4. 
Why do intelligent teachers fall back upon oral lessons? 5. Mention some of the disadvantages of these. 6. What questions should we ask about a youth who has finished his education? 7. Wherein lies the error of our educational system? 8. Show that we undervalue children and therefore educate them amiss. 9. What was the note of home life in the last generation? 10. How would you describe children as they are? 11. Show that our great work is to give them vitalizing ideas. Chapter 16. How to Use School Books 1. What question must we ask concerning a subject of instruction? 2. What do you understand by disciplinary subjects? 3. What danger attends the blind use of these? 4. What idea should prove an open sesame to many vitalizing studies? 5. Illustrate the fact that the Bible is a great source of moral impressions. 6. What impressions were made on De Quincey by his nursery Bible readings? 7. In what ways did the liturgy appeal to him? 8. Why should a child dig for his own knowledge? 9. What are the uses of the oral lesson and the lecture? 10. Why should children use living books for themselves? 11. What is the mark of a fit book? 12. How shall we know if children enjoy a book? 13. What should the teacher do towards the teaching given by the book? 14. In what ways must children labor over their books? 15. What is the simplest way of dealing with a paragraph or chapter? 16. Why should preparation consist of a single, careful reading? 17. Mention some other ways of using books. 18. What mechanical devices might children use in their studies? 19. What does the teacher do towards the preparation of a lesson? 20. What is the danger of too many disciplinary devices? 21. Why are we in some danger of neglecting books? Chapter 17. Education is the science of relations. We are educated by our intimacies. 1. What are our three educational instruments, and why are we confined to these? 2. Why may we not encroach upon the personality of children? 3. In what ways may we temper life too much for children? 4. What example of fairy lore serving as a screen and shelter does Wordsworth give us in The Prelude? 5. What have you to say of the spontaneous living of children? 6. On what does fullness of living depend? 7. Distinguish between the relation of ideas to ideas 
and the relation of persons to the ideas proper for them. 8. Show that the object of education is not to make something of the child, but to put the child in touch with all that concerns him. 9. Describe the self-education of an infant. What does Wordsworth tell us on this point? 10. What is our part in his education? 11. What is our common error? What are its results? 12. Distinguish between business and desire. 13. What attempts were made to teach Ruskin to ride, and what does he think of those attempts? 14. What indictment does he bring against the limitations of his condition? 15. Why should those parents, especially who are villa dwellers, learn much from praeterita? 16. Enumerate Wordsworth's opportunities for forming dynamic relations. 17. Show that these came naturally in the course of things. Chapter 18. We are educated by our intimacies. Part 2. Further Affinities. 1. What chances had Ruskin to learn the use of material? 2. What do we hear of the intimacy of either boy with natural objects? 3. Describe Ruskin's flower studies. 4. His pebble studies. 5. Show that these became a life-shaping intimacy. 6. Upon what books did Ruskin grow up? 7. What is the first mention we get of his insatiate delight in a book? 8. What qualities in Byron delighted him? 9. Describe Wordsworth's delight in the Arabian Nights. 10. What is Wordsworth's plea for romance in education? 11. What does he say in favor of liberty to range among books? 12. Describe his first enthrallment by poetry. 13. Show that Ruskin's historic sense appears to be always connected with places. 14. How does he betray some want of living touch with the past? 15. Show that Wordsworth, too, was aloof. 16. Show that knowledge learned in schools laid little hold of either boy. 17. Compare the experiences of the two boys with regard to chances of comradeship. Chapter 19. We are educated by our intimacies. Part 3. Vocation. 1. Describe Turner's call to Ruskin. 2. What does Ruskin consider his first sincere drawing? 3. What account does he give of his true initiation? 4. What is the first hint we get of nature as a passion? 5. How does Wordsworth trace the beginnings of this passion? 6. Describe the calling of the poet. 7. How does Wordsworth describe the education of the little prig of his day?
8. Show that the child prig is the child who is the end and aim of his own education. 9. Mention a few of the directions in which these children have affinities. 10. Show from the example of Waverly the danger of a desultory education. 11. How does Mr. Ruskin express that the child is the father to the man? 12. Show that strenuous effort and reverence are conditions of education. 13. Show that comradeship has its duties. 14. Why should children have a steady, unruffled course of work? 15. Describe from Brother Lawrence one way in which the highest relationship may be initiated. 16. What does Browning say about this relation? Chapter 20. Suggestions Towards a Curriculum 1. Give a short summary of the preceding chapters. 2. Comment upon the educational methods of the day. 3. What two conditions are necessary to any sound reform? 4. Why do many boys and girls leave school intellectually devitalized? 5. How does Mr. Benson characterize the aims of masters of public schools? 6. How may we characterize the minds of children? 7. Show the practical working of this view. 8. Distinguish between knowledge and information. 9. In what ways will the child show power in a dealing with knowledge? 10. To what do stereotyped phrases and mangled notes in children's work point? 11. Work out an analogy between knowledge and food. 12. Why may we call Mark Hunger a debauchery of the mind? 13. Why should not epitomes and compilations be allowed for children's use? 14. What are the advantages of working through a considerable book? Chapter 21. Suggestions Towards a Curriculum. Part 2. School Books. 1. Who must, in the end, decide upon the right school books? 2. What are the relative places of lecture and book? 3. Show the danger of elaborate appliances. 4. Upon what principle should studies be coordinated? 5. What results of education should we look for in a young person leaving school? 6. Show that the worth of education by things is now fully recognized. 7. What habit should we look for as a chief acquirement of school life? 8. Give a rough classification of the subjects in which knowledge is due to children. 9. Show the importance of the Bible as a means of education. 10. What knowledge of history should boys and girls of 12 to 14 have? 11. What mistake is commonly made in teaching this subject? 12. 
What knowledge of languages should they have? 13. What should we aim at in the early teachings of science? 14. What least amount of time in the open is a sine qua non of living education? 15. What is the use of books in nature teaching? 16. Name a few useful books. 17. What do you understand by picture talks? Chapter 23. Suggestions Towards a Curriculum. Part 3. The Love of Knowledge. 1. Why does the use of books make for short hours? 2. What is the evil of a utilitarian education? 3. Distinguish between relations and interests. 4. Show that the tendency of present-day education is to depreciate knowledge. 5. Enumerate some causes of the failure of our efforts at intellectual education. 6. Show the danger which besets teachers of pursuing intellectual futilities. 7. By what test may we distinguish a fad from an educational method? 8. Our end is to produce an educated child. How is he to be recognized? 9. Children delight in school for many reasons. Which of these is the only abiding motive? 10. What change in our educational methods should secure the children's educational Magna Carta? End of Appendix 1, Part 2 Recording by Josh Broussard